G'day, and welcome to the Hunter's Campfire Podcast. My name's Mark, and along with good mate Ian, we're here to help with all things hunting. If you're looking to start but don't know where to begin, you want to make the most of your next trip away, or even plan a hunt of a lifetime, we've got something for you. You'll find our podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, and plenty of others. And if you want more, head over to our YouTube channel, The Hunter's Campfire, where we have plenty of how-to and hunting videos, along with the full video production of every podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe, and good hunting. Okay. Well, good evening, Ian, and more importantly, sorry to say that, Ian, but more importantly, good evening, Chloe. And welcome to the Hunter's Campfire Podcast. Um, thank it's you great for having to have, me. And more importantly, thank you for accepting our invite. Um, we're very glad to have you here. Uh, not to make too fine a point on of it, you are our first non-grumpy old man that we've had on. So we're very excited about that. Although no, not grumpy old man, but somewhere in those that age bracket. So we're very excited <laughs> to have you here. And we're very, very excited to understand about your journey into hunting. Um, and with that, why don't we start there? How's that sound? Yeah. Okay. So why don't you tell us how you got to, um, into hunting? Well, I grew up in a very largely hunting orientated family. Um, before I was even born, my mum and dad first met, dad got mum into hunting. So they used to go out, you know, probably cute little dates. I don't really want to know much about that. But, you know, rabbit drives, fox drives. Um, a lot of Dad's photo albums is filled with him and Mum and my aunts all hunting. So it was something that they used to do together. And then when Mum had us, due to, you know, having to go to the range 60 million times a year to keep a gun licence, um, Mum handed hers in because it was just too hard, you know, three kids in a pram to go you know, take one shot to keep a gun licence. So when mum stopped, I started following dad around. And, well, since I could walk, I've been trailing after him, chasing rabbits, foxes, deer, you know, all across where we were living in the Southern Highlands. And since then, well, I've stolen all of his hunting gear, <laughs> signed all of his guns into my name and, yeah, kept it going. That's unreal. <laughs> that is unreal. Yeah. Um, I, the I, fact I, that you said your aunts were involved too. So it wasn't just mum. There was there was a no. Whole... So mum was really really close to her older and younger sister. Okay. So for you, it was really, you know, it's just like Ghana women or something else like that. Literally, when I was born, it was hunting was born in my blood. Wow. You know, it runs very, very strong, which is nice. So when did you kind of um, graduate from a follower to hunting? When when did that start to happen? Well, legally, as soon as I turned 12 and got my junior permit. Hmm. Oh, okay. So, I mean, oh, yeah, yeah, I was, yeah, yeah. Yes, of course, legally, yeah. yes, we completely understand, yes. <laughs> when I was little and following Dad, you know, in that time I learned how to gut rabbits and, you know, instead of a retriever dog, I was a retriever, so he did put me to good use. But as soon as I got my license, it was straight out to the range. Um, it was very much a small bore range at the time, 
and the president was George Lang and fantastic. Between he and dad, I learned so much and was very ready to go chasing rabbits for the first time properly. Wow. Which, um, yeah, it was a very memorable trip. I slept for most of it. And but I did shoot my first hair, so it was a, you know, good good night. Yeah. Uh, and a memorable occasion by the sounds of it. Very much so. Definitely a good memory, even though the photos aren't the most flattering. But <laughs> Not All right, well, we might we might ask you for a look at one of those to put up. Yeah, wait, a, that might be as a, a cover photo. <laughs> yeah, uh, and um, what, what, while you were growing up in and around a hunting family, uh, do you have any? Do you have siblings that were into the same hobbies? I do. Uh, so my little sister and my little brother both used to go. Um, my little sister's not so much the shooter anymore, but she definitely is the chef of the family, mm. and she'll cook any game that we bring home because she can cook a lot better than what I can. So that's really good. Um, Mark, we've done the then, wrong thing here. Yeah. We should, we should have been doing this in person. Um, that's right. Not, not yeah. over teams. Yeah, I should have knocked a red over and then we just should have just drove down. <laughs> there you go. Why started, not? You know, I'll, I'll be up in while. Queensland later in the week anyway. Started jacking oh, so, uh, um, while, while the cooking was happening, yeah. Okay, and and you, and your uh, younger brother, how where's he sitting in the the equation? Uh well, he's not yet eighteen, so he's still on his junior permit. But when he's six foot six, taking him hunting now reminds me of when I was little, trailing after dad. Yeah. Just the height difference. I feel like the little little kid again. This big little brother taking so, shot for shot at bunnies and stuff under the spotlight. It's, yeah. So he'd be handy with a carry. They'd be handy with a carry out. Oh, I can't wait to have him and do a deer trip together. Every time we've gone chasing deer together, we've been in separate paddocks. Oh, okay. He's always been the lucky one back at the car before I am with something. Okay. So, is it uh, mostly rifle, or have you done any wing shooting as well, duck or anything like that? No, all rifle. Um, next year's goal is to get into clay targets to perfect my on-the-fly shot and then hopefully duck season one day, get down to Vic and, you know, when they have it for their few days and have a go at that. Yeah. That's a that's a plan, a dream. And, of course, you've got the, the what's the name, uh, mitigation hunting in New South Wales on the birds. I don't know much about it, but it's all under permits and mm. licensing and testing. But it seems pretty easy to do. We did look at doing it through our hunting club, but I just never got around to doing it, to be honest. Not yet, anyway. Yeah, look, I'll stand corrected if I've got it wrong, but I believe that with the R licence, um, if you uh, – and I believe the testing is very, very similar, if not the same as the uh, – the waterfowl identification program mm-hmm. that runs out of Victoria, um, you get a license or you get qualified or whatever the correct term is, and then they actually put you in contact with um, property owners who've got that kind of, uh, you know, that kind of crop that is affected by specifically ducks, 
and you get to and they you get on the say it's private land technically i don't think it ever happens on a public land structure but it happens on a private land structure and you basically you know you're shooting like mitigation so yeah that, that, there is that option there in new south wales as well and i think it happens mostly you know down into the water riverina and that area but uh, i'm not sure about that exactly but I, that's the kind of feel that i've got when i've spoken to people about it we've looked at it um how we might be able to get into it and it's um it's that kind of thing so that's a, that's another option on a because i love wing shooting i don't do any wing shooting in australia i only wing shoot when i'm overseas but i love it um yeah. it's um it's actually a great it's a it's a it's hard to explain how fun it is um unless you get get into it so but it's like that all that small game stuff you know it's it it doesn't have the reputation that it probably should have because it's great fun oh it is it is. I do encourage every new shooter to go back to basics and just chase rabbits because so many memories were spent in the paddock just with the 22 chasing rabbits. And there's so much you learn and can put on to, you know, large game just from that. Yeah, most definitely. And and from my um, a pest control um, uh, issue, I know I just read that basically rabbits are number one they do more damage to native wildlife than anything else so yeah, yeah certainly not going to have the rabbits and of course you can eat them as well so that's yeah that's that's a bonus so that's that's fantastic so um how did you did you met migrate oh sorry for graduate from small game to larger game over a period of time i did so so chasing rabbits and foxes all through my very early teens and then I think in about 2013, I went for my first trip out west. So dad, um, his friends, Brad and Gav and I went out to Byrock. Yep. And in the middle of January, oh, it's an hour south of Burke. Yep. Yeah, okay. Ish, yep. give or take. Um, and in the middle of January, Ooh. which was kind of awful. But oh my god i've never seen so many pigs in my life it was just it was amazing just shooting pigs off the crop and goats around the dams day and night you know for about five days it's all we did i don't think i slept for the full you know five days at all which that was just amazing and then we did that every few years every six months till till i left school Okay. So tell was, Ian, tell Ian why shooting pigs is so much, <laughs> so, so fundamentally fun. Tell him that. Tell him why, because he just doesn't believe me on this one. No, I, yeah, the context there is I, I would step over a pig uh, on my way to hunt deer. I, I, I wait for them to get out of my way so that they don't interrupt my deer hunting. Um, <laughs> in fact, I've got, I think I've, I mean, I've shot one decent boar because yeah. it just wouldn't get out of the way and I, I just don't have time for them because i don't i don't feel like i want to eat them um i'm sorry i'm carrying my phone i'm trying to look up this town you're talking about um that's all right um yeah i i, I tend to chase things that i want that I, that I want to cook and i'm scared of pigs because um i'm horribly colorblind and if you don't cook something properly like a wild pig you can get quite sick so if it's got a percentage chance that I might really, you know, do some damage to myself, I'm just going to leave it alone. Um, I can see the appeal. I, I get it. But I just 
just haven't got there yet. I should. I, I've heard that bow hunting for pigs is very worthwhile. Um, but anyway, we'll, we'll we'll give that a crack sometime soon. Oh, it's definitely the adrenaline. I have never eaten a pig I've shot. That's one of the one things I won't touch. I don't trust it, you know, with the amount of illnesses you can get. It's mostly just pest eradication, pretty much. Yep. You know, rules on the property were shoot it on the crop. We had to drag them out. And for the few that we shot, you know, 100, 100 plus kilo pigs, dragging them from the middle of the crop, that was that was the fun part, tripping over each other, mm -hmm. the yelling, the carrying on, and, um, yes, the being totem in the way mm -hmm. bit. But the adrenaline, I had a few dogs a few years ago and just the adrenaline of chasing them, chasing the pigs, was just a whole new different hunting, you know, situation it was yeah definitely took pig hunting to a whole new level but just seeing like i was shocked when i got out there that the pigs went pink and you know didn't go <laughs> oink oink they grunted and carried on and they were big black hairy and some of them they had plates of armor you know just yeah. thick and they were they were feral you know we'd shoot some but by the next night they'd be Nothing left of the pig that you know we pulled out at the the tip. They just eat them. You know, they're just so ill. They go around and eating the carcasses of the other pigs. It was just no. I don't like pigs at all. But getting rid of them's entertaining. Yeah, I'd say. Yeah. Well, interestingly enough, I found this little place that you were talking about just south of Burke. Um, I don't know if you know of a little town or a little. I call it a town roadhouse, uh, a very similar place called Hermadale. No. So Her Hermadale's just down the road back towards Ningen. Um, and it was the first town that I ever went to when I moved to Australia to go hunting. And it was the first go. time I'd seen so many goats and so many pigs and so many roos and so many emus and everything else. Um, that that reconnected uh, me with hunting after I moved here from New Zealand. I did a lot of hunting in New Zealand, yeah. but I gave it up when I moved here and moved to Sydney and found other interests um, that had two legs, not four, and um, eventually found my way back to hunting. And, uh, yeah, just interesting that it was in these, within the same area as where you were talking yeah. about. Yeah. Nice. Uh, and we were out there in summer too. They had a um, an annual volleyball tournament on the main highway, Hermadale wow. Volleyball. Teams would come from all over the country to raise money for um, the community there, which was was quite cool. So anyway, my, that, my that connection is the same cool. part. Hmm. Very nice. Well, you haven't convinced me that pigs are worth going after, Chloe, so we'll leave that up to Mark. Hey, uh, to keep I trying. will take you pig hunting one day. It's oh, going to happen, yeah. and I will show you how fun it can be. I think that I think that I, I, I would I would definitely vote. Oh, sorry, volunteer to be the camera crew on that one. Oh, it's, definitely, it's bound definitely. to happen. I write this down in my little black book. Of I'm, definitely the, I'm definitely the camera crew on that uh, one. Chloe taking Done. me in pig hunting. Yeah. yeah, they're a great animal. I, I, I've got a very, I don't know what how to describe it, but I've got a, a certain affection for them, I suppose is the word. Yeah. Uh, I'd they are, an, inter they are an, they're an interesting animal. I remember the last, last good boar I shot, that not just as he hit the ground, 
the sow then came over and started chewing on him while he was still. <laughs> See, there's, yeah. there's, there's obviously tension between those two. Yeah, and he's just gone. Now's my chance. Brown, I'll bite it's, a, it's a, a nature is metal content right there. So you move from your small game into larger stuff. Um, is, so if, if you're trying to plan yourself a trip these days, is there a specific game that you like to chase? Are you hooked on deer oh, like so many of us, or are you not that? so deer. Deer and yeah, pigs. That is my go-to. Um, after the um, pig and goat trip out west, it wasn't long till I was in the hills of Kilcoy chasing red deer with uh, Dad, who is nicknamed Old Pop. Okay, so I reference Old Pop, and no one knows who he is. That's Dad, because he's old. But we chased red deer for two seasons, and by the second season, I bagged my first stag, well um, a lovely 11-pointer, which is currently on the wall in his house. Pros of pros of rentals. That's oh, a, yes. That's a Kilcoy one right there. Very nice. Oh, they breed them good up there, that's for sure. Yeah, it's a Kilcoy one from this year. There you go. So, yeah, chasing the reds up in Brisbane Valley and stuff like that, that's certainly. Yeah. Now, one of my favourite places in the world is the deer block. It's just amazing. You know, it's a whole different country up there. You know, when on this the trip where I got my red, at one point we were watching this red stag in the tree line just on the other side of this valley. But in the creek in the valley was a rooster stag. Mm. And he had all the grass and reeds all in his antlers. You could see the water dripping off as he was chewing. It was just amazing. You know, could have easily taken a shot at any one of those. You know, it was very clear, very open. But we just sat there for, what you know, a good half an hour, 40 minutes just watching these deer. It was amazing. Yeah. So, okay, you got the rooster as well. So that's, um, yeah. That's more to, more up towards um, the Mary Valley side of things. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I think you get um, you probably get more experience from that half hour watching than the you know the three seconds pulling the trigger anyway. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. Great, great to take an animal on a trip like that, but also great to sit there and be able to watch them. And um, kudos for having the patience to sit there and watch it rather than, you know, pull the trigger and, you know, that's oh. sort of the end of your day anyway uh, by the time you get out there and, and process and do exactly. everything. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's really good. No, I'm so entertained by just sitting and watching that I often forget that I have the thing called a camera and it's not till the end of a trip where I go through, oh, look at all my photos, no photos. Mm. Yeah, that's a stock standard for me. Okay. So tell us about this 11-pointer. It was just a fun trip with Dad. It was, yeah, second trip out there, you know, and over the two, three days before this hunt, we would have seen hundreds of between reds, rooster, hinds, other stags, everywhere. It was just dear. I was in heaven. It was amazing. But so we're sitting in this one one valley and, um, yeah, looking over at, at a clear hill well, spot on the hill opposite us. As we're watching, we're listening to these two stags going off on the other side of that one. Um, and within, you know, half an hour, 40 minutes, this mob came through 
and uh, presented itself a perfect shot. So I, after, you know, having to study my breathing and stop shaking multiple times, um, was presented with a very clear shot. So I took it. Only thing is um, I was a little bit far back. So spent the next 10 minutes tracking him to place another shot, putting him down. Mm. So it was, a, yeah, I don't think I'd ever cried so much just mm. with relief, you know, just a little bit of a feeling sorry for taking a life but and just excite. I don't know. Yep. You know the feeling when you've experienced exactly it. What it's just so yeah, many. No, just so many emotions just hit you in one hit. And well, I was a blubbering mess, and Dad, he was even worse. Just <laughs> oh, and um, yeah, had to then well, cart him all the way back up the hill. What, your was, dad or the deer? And then go back to the stag. <laughs> and, then, and then go back I'd to the stag. I'd love to say dad, but it was, uh, yeah, just the deer. Had a few legs in my pack, a few legs in his with the back straps and then cape and antlers over my shoulders and oh. straight back up, which, yeah, it was a good uh, well-deserved sleep after that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I hunt up there every couple of weeks and it's a pretty magical place. Um yeah, and uh, so you've got if you say you've got him on the wall at home. Wall at Dad's place. I just did the European. Oh, sorry, at Dad's place. Yeah. Yeah. So Dad's. Oh, it's going to be hard to get them all my heads off Dad eventually, but yeah, they're all on his wall with his. It's a pretty good collection. Okay. Well, you, could, you could do a um, a bit of a ninja trip in there in the middle of the night and take them all and replace them with rabbit skulls. That's right. You know, the temptation's there. I just don't really feel like doing the nine hours. Oh, right. It's it's a bit of a trick, a trek back home. So, so. Uh, technical, a bit of technical questioning. So what's your favourite um, deer rifle? I have been using the 308. So 308 was, actually, I haven't used a single one the whole time. So 308 for my red deer. Uh, my rooster deer was a 270 short mag. Oh, yeah. Winchester small, short mag. Yeah, 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 that's the one. Yep. And then my fellow was a 243. So yep. I just purchased just a standard 270 for next year's season. So I'll we'll let you know. <laughs> and where is next year's season planning? Not that we could really plan anything at the moment easily, but yeah, fingers crossed the borders are open. Um, mm -hmm. because I will be in Queensland every second week just for the hunting 100%. Um, Isn't that but interesting? there's also, yeah, it's, <laughs> you're, it's crazy. You're, 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 <laughs> you're, we're waiting for the borders so we can go south, south, <laughs> and people down your way are waiting for the borders yeah. so you can come north. Oh, 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 yeah, I'll be coming north, but then there's some state forests within an hour from home. So yeah, I was looking at right. them on the map this morning and there's lots of goats getting around. My mm. boyfriend and I went for an exploration to see some of the waterfalls and after all this rain and the amount of goats going through the state forests and national parks is just amazing. So many of them. So yeah. that'll be on the, the list too, I'd assume. Well, yeah, yeah. you're kind of um, cut across country. You're not too far from the Pilliga. 
No, I think it takes me about three hours. Yeah, yeah, and you've got a little bit north of you, you you get into, well, what for a lot of Queenslanders is the first state forest, which is Bonsh, uh, 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 Severn, what we call Severn, uh, on the Bonshaw Road, which is about an hour up from you. Yeah. And you've got a couple of other ones around uh, in Varel as well. So, yeah, there's some... There's some good little forests around there, and certainly, look, I think, um, unless they all get washed away as this oh, rain continues, um, I think we're going to have a bump of a couple of a couple of really good years in front of us. Certainly, the food on the ground and the amount of water is around. Yeah, that's right. I I, I realised that last time I was down the Pilgrim Slough because there's a road that basically runs um, east west, and I'll take you straight into Inverell. So. Yeah, that's a good. That's it. Well, for you, three hours. That's a you know a good overnighter for us. It's a seven-hour run. So, um, yeah, and we we'll, we hope to be down there um, early in the new year. So, that's yeah. it. There's plenty of goats and pigs there. So, oh, most definitely. No, it'll definitely you know after all the water goes away, there'll be some mm. good hunting around. Fingers crossed. Yeah. So tell us about the rooster. Uh, rooster was a spur-of-the-moment trip while I was attempting to go to uni um, mid-year break and I got a call from Clark McGee from Wild Country Adventures and all he wanted to do was uh, film me hunting a rooster to educate and promote kids in hunting with the motto Raised in Blaze. So within two days I was up in the paddocks uh, attempting to drive his old Suzuki which, you know, if you remember to take the handbrake off, it's really easy. But, um, yeah, so we hunted for three days and a lot of laughs, you know, during the trip and ended up, yeah, just catching this cull stag that he'd been, you know, watching a few weeks prior. Um, finally caught up to him as he was coming into a valley to feed and, yeah, just one shot with his... Winchester, uh, two seventy shot mag, and he was down. I uh, was really glad I didn't have to do the carry out for that one. It was easily car accessible, so got to take the whole thing back to camp and use everything, which was really nice. Okay, and and that was a very yep. fun trip. And and your fellow, fellow was this year, uh, this year's D season, and I did morning and afternoon hunts back in the Southern Highlands before and after work. Cold, wet, it just rained and it was freezing. You know, it's just go to work in my wet hunting clothes because, you know, I was going to be back out in the paddock in, you know, six hours. But on the on the Friday or whatever day it was, probably a Friday, um, Dad caught up with me that afternoon, decided we'd hunt together. You know, over the week we'd had so many opportunities, there were so many deer around, just not any good like opportunities to shoot i decided you know nothing was clear you know there's always something not right about the shots so dad and i sat in one of the paddocks and just glassed and on last light this little spiky came out and in all honesty i did think it was a, a doe to begin with you know couldn't see his little little knobs but i've been watching a doe come out the same spot same size same color all week so that you know bit of meat for the table, took the shot, got to the deer and it was a little spiky. So 
which, you know, wasn't bad, but it was a good surprise. So that was another long carry out, whole deer over my shoulders while dad carried the guns. <laughs> yeah, have to have to look after him, you know, in his old age. Yeah, well, he's not letting you get off lightly, is he? No. But no, look, so that was a very rewar rewarding hunt too. And look, there's a there's a, there's a very good theory about taking spikers for me is that you actually know exactly how old they are. You know, yeah. No, it was you, there, there's no there's there's no you know there's there's well it's not a, a perfect science, but it's a lot easier to age a spiker than it is to age a doe. So and in terms of quality of meat, if you if and if there's an abundance of them, by all means. Um, That's it. Yeah, I actually think they're a good spiker is a, is, a, is, a, is a great eating animal, to be honest. Um, well, I am glad I got him because I think it was about six weeks ago the New South Wales government sent aerial culling all through our property backed onto the waterboard. Oh, okay. And sent them all through to kill all the deer. So I guess mine was lucky. It wasn't a half-fast pot shot that, you know, could have wounded or anything it was a clean and humane kill so i think at the end of the day we both both were lucky there mm -hmm. so when you say look for us who don't know the area so well when you say southern highlands what's the 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 you know the the location that we might know what town or something that we might know uh so it's about an hour south of sydney and an hour north of goulburn give or oh, take. Okay. So around the Barrel, Mossvale, Mittagong area. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Nice you know, country. Robertson's not far, famous for babe and potatoes. <laughs> there is a big potato in Robertson. Is there? Oh, uh, I have to take a note. Not over the that. most attractive thing, but it's there. <laughs> we have done a little bit of a big tour as a family, so I have to take notice that there's a big potato down that way. Yeah. It's, you know, you blink, you miss it. It's oh, not. Okay. But it's still there. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we, we've done a few of the big things. So the, the big potato, I didn't know about that one. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's an interesting one, that's for sure. So when you said, I, I, it was interesting, you said that, um, you know, you, 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 I don't know how you put about something about uni. It was like you were attempting university or something. So I attempted it, yeah. yeah. I hated high school. I hated primary school. Why Why did I decide to go back to school when I graduated? That's all I think about. So I decided I would study to become a primary school teacher. Oh, okay. Yeah. I lasted nine months and yep. I said, see you later to that and went back to the firearms industry. That was I, 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 I studied to be a teacher for a year and um, on my first, I studied to be a manual arts teacher. Yeah. So you know, I was I was I already had the long socks and the short the long shorts and ready to go, and I realised that um, on my first block release, I I had so much more in common with the kids than I did with all the man art teachers, and I realised that I, it wasn't for me. So it's, yeah. oh, it's interesting that you went that way. So you went back to the firearms industry, which is interesting. So where did you start in the firearms industry? If you went back to it, I started in the firearms industry when I was ten years old when the hunting. Yeah you know, retail. Um, Dad started his own business, which was called Field and Stream Australia, back in 2010-ish, <laughs> give, okay, give or take. It's I don't remember. But 
But so I was about, yeah, 10, 12 years old, started there at Parkley Markets in Sydney every weekend. Oh, really? Yep, that's how Food and Stream started. We were selling archery gear, fishing gear, camping gear in a little stall back in the day. Um, tried telling 10-year-old me that I wasn't allowed to sell knives, just like Dad could. You know, got into a bit of trouble for that, as you would. But um, in 2012, he opened the doors in Barrel and... Every afternoon after school, every weekend, you could find me in the counter, annoying everybody, eating his food, stealing his money. Um, and then once I got my license, weekend work, you know, then I turned 18, got my dealer's license before I had my actual gun license. And first day it arrived straight to the Penrith Gun Show, trade show, selling all these old 303s from, you know, World War One and World War Two, because Dad thought it would be a laugh, sent me with guns I knew very little about, which they all sold within, you know, three weeks after the show. So I was very happy. But, um, yeah, so left uni to do that with the occasional weekend work with Dad to go back doing three days a week, four days a week. And, um, yeah. So it's just been every time I've decided to have a career change or thing, I end up back in, well, I did end back up in Field and Stream Australia. Just that was my go-to. I could talk and I could sell anything, talk to anybody. As long as they came in wanting to know about hunting, I'd talk for hours. Wow. So um, you would have been a uh, standout at the Penrith show selling 303s. Want, yeah. yeah, January, it was really hot. I'm pretty sure I was in mini shorts and a singlet, so no wonder I had, yeah. I learned very quickly how to, you know, dress for the male-dominated trade shows. That's right, you must have been. That's right, they probably let you in for free because you're only, only female within about 500 metres of the whole building. Yeah, probably. <laughs> so with that, you, you went to the store and so where did you where where is your career taking you now so since i've been at the store i am now a sales rep for ridgeline clothing and outdoor sporting agencies for southern queensland and northern new south wales as well as ridgeline clothing for the northern territory so okay. yeah instead of retail i'm a wholesale rep and get to travel and sell guns for a living. It's great. Every every person's dream. So, oh, okay. So along Ridgeline Clothing's end, so what what firearms, are, what's, what's your area in that? Or who, your organisation you work for, what what, the, what do they cover off on? So we do a lot with Hawa, Lithgow, Sowers, mm. uh, Maruku, Gamo, Boido, Henry, plus hundreds of others that I still haven't learnt much about yet. Firearms and, and optics and accessories. Optics, access, yeah, everything, ammunition, gunpowder. Um, they cover just about everything in, the, in this hunting industry. It's amazing. Going to the warehouse a few weeks ago was, oh, I was like a little kid in a candy shop. By the time I left, my ute was full. That was, it was great. 
<laughs> six months wages paid in advance i'll have all of those things pretty thanks. much yeah, yeah, yeah. great <laughs> yeah. okay all right and you've got a fair territory to cover so you're meeting a lot of people and making a lot of contacts that's a it's a great thing to be doing yeah and half the time so you know got to roma uh, two months ago for the first trip since i started and i walk in and this customer gentleman's leaving and goes oh g'day chloe and so sorry who are you Oh, it doesn't matter who I am, but nice to meet you. I was like, how do you know who I am? Oh, I read your articles every month in Sporting Shooter. And he left. That was it. So I walk in and, you know, meet my customer and we're both like, what the heck just happened? Then, you know, 40 minutes, an hour later, another guy comes in. So they're chatting and he turns around to me and says, oh, g'day, Chloe. Loved last month's article. It's... um. Yeah, I meet so many people from both work and just from the industry that you wouldn't know were hunters or things like that. It's yeah, entertaining. Okay, so 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 who are you writing for? So I write a monthly column um, in Sporting Shooter. Okay. So my column's called In the Blood. And most of it's the ramblings of a mad woman who is hunting obsessed, but that's okay. That's um, that covers off on just about every hunting ride there is, you know. The, yeah, pretty much. Uh, the, other than the woman <laughs> part, it's basically the ramblings of a mad, a mad person about hunting. Yeah. So yeah. So in okay. The in the blood, I did not know that. Yeah, I'm at the very back. I think I'm the second last page. But a lot of people have told me that that's the first place they turn, so it makes me happy. Okay. That's not bad. That's certainly good. That's certainly a good review. So what's In the Blood about? Um, specifically, other than the ramblings of, of, you know, what's a specific <laughs> rambling that we might read about? Um, oh, goodness. So it all started out with my journey in the hunting industry. A lot of them are based around what I do that month, whether it be hunting or a political issue I decide is something to tackle. Um, one from late last year was called Immersed in the Culture and it was um, kind of like I'm fed up with certain parts of the industry kind of column. You know, you've got all these people on social media who are influential, um, focusing on their own global recognition and instead of promoting hunting. Mm. So, you know, doing it for the, I get free products, I get free discount codes, blah, blah, blah. Look at me, look at me. You know, instead of the education and, you know, getting back down to basics of what hunting is about, if that makes sense. So a lot of it's kind of similar to that, to be honest, just okay. seeing where, how I grew up in hunting and how it's changed so dramatically in this day and age. And what okay. that's, yeah, my opinions anyway. Okay. But look, so, so there's, there's lots of things running around my head on that one, but so what, <laughs> what do you think has changed? What, what, what's the change? Cause you know, you've got a lot of you've got a great deal of hunting experience you've seen a lot so you know what is what is it has do you think has changed 
So I'm going to assume that when you guys started hunting, it was rabbits, rabbits, uh, foxes, small. No, game. no, no, uh, no. I'm, I kind of worked in reverse. I I didn't come from a hunting background at all. So this, the day that I, well, not the day, but as soon as I had a license to drive a car, I drove to the range and said, I want to learn, I want, I want to shoot something. So I just, you know, at that, and then you could, at that time you could do that. And so um, I, you know, rented a firearm and just started shooting. And the first firearm I owned, other than when I was a kid from an air rifle, was a thirty thirty. So I, I skipped rim fires every I, I had a 30 30 the first thing i did is walk around with 30 30 so I, I have i suppose and i don't know if that was particularly wise but that's what happened so it wasn't for many many years later that i bought a rim fire and that i shot at a rabbit i, I shot pigs mostly pigs for a long time uh, before i shot anything else and i shot with a 30 30 because i was just starting out and i didn't have much money on my lefty so i went a lever action because Left-hand bolt actions were, were were quite a rarity, and they if they were around, they were incredibly expensive, and they were only usually you know, in in one type of chamber length action. So you either got either short action left hand or a long action left hand. There wasn't much of a um, selection. So no, I, I kind of went the other way. I started I started with a thirty cal, and that's probably why everything in my face. Fair enough. Is a thirty. And cal. I was I was the typical. Uh, hunter but different animals in New Zealand um, it started with you know um, birds that were you know a menace like crows and um, I, I couldn't tell you I'm pretty sure magpies aren't protected over there like they are here <laughs> if they are I didn't shoot any if they are we've massacred the population um, <laughs> things. Um, and I, I still remember leaning my slug gun out the um out the bedroom window. First thing I'd do every morning is I'd, I'd open the curtain, peer out the window, and see what was munching on the garden, <laughs> so I could nail it. Um, and we had we had the possum population issue uh, in New Zealand, so you know we would go. I, I remember going to my uncle's place at the 22, and we stood under one tree on his farm and shot over 50 possums out of that one tree. Um, oh and you know it was great pocket money. You get hundreds of dollars yeah. a kilo for the fur. So it was a great way to, you know, make a bit of pocket money. And that sort of got me hooked on it because I love going out with the light and, and you know, shooting possums. You felt like you're doing something good. Not sure at a, as a teenager or, or like an early teenager whether you really thought you were doing something good or not. You just enjoyed the shooting and, um, and making a bit of pocket money. Um, and then at a really early age, um, not too far after that, you know, we, we, uh, my uncle took me out deer hunting. And my first experience hunting deer was in the raw um yeah and actually i don't even think it was reds now i think about it i think it was um seeker up in the kaimanoas uh, because it wasn't a roaring stag that i was listening to it was a, a much higher pitched squeal so it must have been seeker um but it was um yeah just an incredible experience but yeah i progressed up through the as you know to answer your question small game through to big game like lots yeah. of us would have done yeah but so different backgrounds of how you got into it but with social media obviously didn't affect your opinions and you know hunting dreams say did it because there wouldn't have been much social media around no you'd be you'd be standing at a at a um at a 
what would you call it, a news agency type place looking at the magazines for as long as you could before the owner kicked you out for not buying the magazine. Yeah. Um, that was really the only fix that I could get my hands on that had anything to do with hunting. Um, yeah. It was such an ingrained part of the New Zealand culture that it was a conversation that you were always having with people rather than yeah. looking for content or books or mm. and things like that. So social media, no, but social definitely. Um, yeah. But no, we didn't have this on tap. You know, as soon as you log into YouTube or a Facebook, you're just seeing whatever the search engine points in your direction, which yeah. really does influence what you think and do. And that's across not just hunting. That's everything no. from... Yeah. From the political agendas to you know what what newspapers stories want to come out what they want to withhold um uh, just as importantly yeah so i see where you go yeah so like for me um i, I mostly read um but i i tended to read north american stories so mm -hmm. for me you know I, I didn't go down that africa hunting until much later um i started with a lot of the north american stuff and so that idea you know hunting um Hunting elk and uh, and and things like that, and especially um, you know things around anything anything to do with Alaska. I, I was just um, fascinated with it. Just too. always wanted to read about Alaska and you know caribou and not not so much. I mean, obviously read a lot about hunting bears, but it was never really about the bear. It was always about what you know what you, things like you know the deer species and and those kind of undulates. So. And that idea, uh, I rec I remember one of the really influential ones to me was a story about a guy who, um, and look, I've seen it now, I've seen YouTube versions of it now, but he hunted um, on the, the, the float. So basically got dropped off with a um, with an inflatable raft and just floated down this river for like three to four weeks and just shot off the boat, put the meat on the boat, lived on the boat, kept floating down and, um, you know, kept on just having this adventure. And that was always really influential to me. So so I, consequently, I'm not that interested in, in African hunting. I'm much more interested in uh, that North American, in the Canada and in the Rockies and stuff like that. That's what, that's kind of, that's where I like. And of course, you know, in, in New Mexico and uh, in the, in the Western states like Montana and things like that, that. Yeah. And consequently, most of my gear looks like it should be there. <laughs> have you? Um, I love it. That, you know, it's just that, that's that's my influence. Yeah, Mark. Well, have you read Have you read a book called um, Wild Men, Wild Alaska by Rocky McQueen? Uh, I can't. I'd have to have a look if I've got that. I don't. I highly that, that totally recommend it. Doesn't it's doesn't ring a bell. Such a great, such a great. He's he's written a couple of books. And it's about he's an outfitter in Alaska, and okay. it's about his whole process and the experience that he gives people. Now I read that book, and it really changed. I mean, I always wanted to hunt over there. It really changed the way that I felt about going and and wanting to hunt over there. It was a big family thing. All the daughters were involved in the in the hospitality side of the business and what have you. And uh, he's had a few disasters, but um, I actually wrote to to Rocky, the author, um, after I read his book because I was, and I've never done that before, uh, but I sent him an email because it was on the back of his book, and I said, "Man, this is amazing! Absolutely loved it." 
um, I'd be really keen to come over. Unfortunately, at the time in my hunting life, I wasn't into trophy hunting. I was just into meat harvest and those sorts of things. And I said, I'm not really wanting to come over and um, and hunt trophies, but I'd love to come over for the experience. Do you offer an experience where I could come over and I could help around the camp and do? And he said, oh, if you're interested in doing that, um, a couple of thousand bucks for the fuel to come and get you, you can stay for a month. Oh, wow. Now, I didn't do it. <laughs> because I had a young family on the way and all of these things stopped me going, but far out. Um, he responded almost immediately with the offer. Um, so anyway, it's well worth it. Um, Wild Men, Wild Alaska by Rocky McQueen. Um, you won't forget the book. But one of the chapters in there was about floating down the river mark um, on, a bear, on a bear hunt. He was guiding someone on a bear hunt and it was a bow hunt. And over there for them to get a trophy class animal they have to shoot and kill it with the with the bow and arrow. Um, there could be no interference with the rifle, and this customer was so insistent that there'd be no backup shot. Um, and I won't ruin the story for you, but suffice to say, they hit an eddy in the river, and they got a whole lot closer to that bear on the bank mm -hmm. than they ever intended. And it was quite a moment for these guys. But um, great book. Anyway, digress. Um, yeah, we do. So but that's what we do. <laughs> Something you both had in common with that was you picked up books. You know, today's day and age, it's get on the social media, you know, on platforms, you know, that reach hundreds of thousands of people and ask a simple question. People are idiots. The amount of simple questions that I've seen that people respond with the dumbest things to say to a new shooter. You know, that's one thing where this day and age and new shooters is just kind of you could say doomed you know um then there's the i saw them do it i'm gonna go get my gun license buy 6.5 and go shoot this you know, yeah 6.5 yeah. in new south wales and victoria for large deer you know your reds and your well your rooster reds and sandbar isn't actually even legal that the 6.5 is the whole fad in this hmm. you know yeah, I, I get what you're saying there because I certainly, the fad or, or, or trends or, or even, I suppose, fashion does seem... In vogue. Yeah. There is a vogue. And I, I kind of think a lot of it stems from the fact that in the United States they've got such a big market that they actually have to create something new to create, you know, new market penetration because, you know, if... If you're all competing in a in a in a even even in a market the size of the US, even a market that's still finite, you have to you have to you know like anything else, you got to you got to break through. And so a lot of the stuff that that comes through is really just breakthrough stuff. You know when they bring out a new caliber or something like that, often you kind of went, yeah, that they're just trying to find it. You know, get another, a little bit of a couple of points of market share around yeah. that, and that translates to, into um, you know an expensive purchase for someone here that might actually be purchasing something that really doesn't suit the application or and suit or suit the conditions but you know you, once you've once you're committed to buying the your rifle and the chassis and the and the, the Hubble telescope that sits upon it and you realize you know it's a great rifle for for one application but it might not be the great rifle for what you want to use for you you kind of yeah. you're stuck with it yeah and you've Pretty got to much. trust. You've got to trust the retailer. Um, in a lot of cases, when I first got into hunting, I went into our local gun shop, and it just happened to be the 
the then branch president of the Australian Deer Association, um, who owned the store. And I asked him what I needed. And I was fortunate that he gave me a reasonable package to do what I needed it to do. Uh, many, many now do their own research. Um, they actually don't know what they need, but they hear what they should buy, mm. be, be it the whatever. Um, yeah. And like you say, you end up with this, like, we're going to go hunting in, in state forest in, in Queensland or in New, in, in New South Wales, and, and I'm fitted out for a long-range rifle to shoot peak-to-peak -peak in New Zealand. Mm. Um, you know, you, you want small magnification, not large magnification. You need various yeah. different calibers for that sort of hunting. Um, you don't get that as a new hunter. Uh, we get no. we get we're, we're getting um, contacted, you know, week in week out now, following podcast episodes, with people saying, "Well, well it's great. I'm, I'm listening to it, and I'm now learning where to go. But what do I buy? Mm. And how do you steer? So you've got to ask them a lot more questions. What type of hunting yeah. do you think you want to get into? What's your budget? Um, and honestly, you know, there's there's loads of different calibers, but you know, there's plenty of people like their caliber. And 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 but I say to a lot of them, the 308. It's shot probably more deer than any other. I don't own one, but you know, there's there's a lot to be said for the caliber. The rounds are mass produced. There's so many of them to choose from. They're cheaper. But you can go and buy, you know, a, a you know one of these in vogue calibers. You you're, you'll end up with a hundred box, a hundred hundred dollars for twenty rounds. Mm -hmm. You know, and you got to go and how many rounds do you need to to then go and shoot at the range to get proficient with your rifle and all of those sorts of things. And all of a sudden, they realise the mistake they're making because they are well informed with social media yeah. before they start. The other thing that I think that really annoys me, um, to your point, the silly comments that come out on social media, um, everyone wants to push, not everyone, so many people want to push the boundaries. And COVID's really highlighted that. You know, yeah. if I heard that I can only go hunting, if I can only go into state forest hunting if it's essential. Well, it's essential because I need to hunt to eat. Um, well, hang on. Um, as to what we've spoken about before, Mark, uh, the, the meat that goes on the table from hunting is the most expensive meat you could possibly put on your table by the time you pay for everything that goes around that. Um, that that's so 6,000 bucks a kilo, yeah. Just try and convince <laughs> me that you need to hunt to survive uh, because it just doesn't work that way for, the, for most of us anyway. Um, yeah. And then com comments today around... Um, that I, that I saw on social media around um, taking my companion dog. So there's a difference on the license between having a registered dog that you can hunt with. It's got the microchip, it's got the collar, it's got all of the things that you need to, to go hunting. And they're trying to, everyone's trying to bend the rules just that little bit. This one's only a companion dog. I'll leave it on the lead the whole time. Hang on, companion dog stays with you in camp. You know, yes, you're allowed to take it. It stays on a lead at all times. It's under control at all times. That's fine. You're not allowed to take it as a hunting dog. But I'm not taking it as a hunting dog. It's just coming for a walk with me while I go hunting. Well, does that pass the sniff test to the ranger? Probably not. If it's not trained to sit, stay, hold, do whatever, it's your own. What happens when you see that deer? I need both hands to shoot the deer. What am I going to do with the dog? Hang on. Just, yeah. I'll just put my foot on the lead. Bang. Oh, shit. Where'd my dog go? Like, what am I? All of this stuff that social media does and how we feed off it and, you know, try and push these boundaries and find the loopholes and things, it's, it's, it's certainly not always healthy. No, exactly. Everybody is 
Oh, most people are. I can't think of the word. It'll come um, to you as we build as we build this pod, pod, podcast to launch on social media. <laughs> I'll just um, get to the point. I'll yell it. I'll just yell this word. They they all know they all know the best. You know they all know everything. Hmm. There's no room to listen. There's no room for prior experience from other people. There's no, you know, they know all, and that's it. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. The the medium doesn't lend, and I think we're learning this as not only you know in hunting. I think we're learning this across all things. The medium doesn't lend itself to conversation. It no. it's you know it's 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 kind of like it just lends itself to a positioning statement. So, yeah. oh, you know, this is what it is, and I'm telling you what it is. And then someone says, well, no, this is what it is, and I'm telling you what it is, and then it turns into, a, you know, a, a shit fight. But it doesn't lend itself to any kind of conversation. You can't actually kind of say, well, you know what? And, look, I have made many an error in purchase over, the, over my longish hunting career simply because – I'm in a lot of ways I'm self-taught. Um, so I understand that, you know, there's a challenge in in getting it right. But I also, I suppose, I'm, I've never been particularly worried about getting it right first time anyway. So it doesn't, that, I've never been in that position. But certainly I, I've experienced um, on a number of occasions conversations with people at the range um, about, you know, about their purchase and, it's interesting because often, you know, there's there's two kind of problems they seem to find. One is they they've purchased something that is completely unsuitable for them. Um, I don't know how many guys, and, and there's at least a few who've started with forty five seventies. You know, those Marlin forty five seventy lever uh, lever action um, guide guns. I love them, but you know, <laughs> they're not where you start. You know. <laughs> And uh, I've seen I've, on more than one occasion I've seen someone at the range flinching, you know, <laughs> flinching terribly because the first thing they did was, you know, I don't know they saw that and they thought it was cool and they bought it and someone unfortunately sold it to them and away they went. But on other occasions I've seen people, you know, not have success not because of the gun but through a simple lack of experience, and you know having a five minute conversation with them gives them a remarkable upswing and uh, success. And again, in regards to lever actions, I remember I was at the range and there was a young guy and he, he had a, again, it was a Marlin, but it was, and it was one of the, the, the stainless ones. It was a 30-30 and he was having all sorts of troubles with it. And he, I could see he was getting ejected by, you know, he was, he was thinking, oh God. And I, and, he, and I said, what's the problem? And he said, oh, I just, no, I just can't get it to work. And my boss told me, no one, you know, these, these are no, they're crap for hunting. There's no good for nothing. And I said, mate, more deer being killed by 30, 30 caliber than any other caliber in there, you know, the history of deer hunting, you know? So I said, they work. And, and it was just simply, he just didn't have any grasp of basics. So, you know, helping him get those basics, it had this massive upswing. And you're right, there is very little in the social media space that's about a positive upswing. It's it's a it's this positioning statement, you know. This is the best caliber. 
buy this. Yeah, yeah. yeah? Jump and, on. So, and, and you'll see someone say, oh, look, what's a oh, – and, and also the language is often kind of – social media doesn't allow itself to, 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 you know, the proper use of language. So someone will say, what's the best gun for such and such? And what they – and what people will go is, oh, buy a CZ. And it's like, no, what they're actually asking is is not what brand – and, but they're, they're framing it as that. So it becomes down to like a, you know, Ford versus Holden, a bloody Bathurst yeah. of what's the best and, uh, you know, don't buy a Tika, they're plastic rubbish or, you know, the you know God shoots a Tika or blah, blah, and off, and off you go. And there's 85 comments and absolutely no outcome. So yeah. I, I, I totally agree with you. I think it's, it's, it is a... Um, it's almost like we're at this infancy infancy of understanding how it works and we could actually make something really powerful of it, but unfortunately we just rather throw plastic toys at each other. Pretty much. Yeah. It's yeah. the way it's going, you know, and if it keeps going this way, I I do worry a little bit how long will the hunting industry last for? You know, if it's I mean, we cop enough black from governmenting bodies. You know, we cop enough flack from people not helping as such, everybody get involved in the hunting industry when they want to, you know, your social media warriors. Um, you know, I honestly, I do think a hunter's worst enemy are ourselves. Mm. You know, we don't, there's not much that, that does anything good for hunters. And you get on these social media pages and it's all, like, you know, you shot a fox, whoop-de-doo, its eyes hanging out, its skulls caved in and you've zoomed in on it. Does that, that doesn't portray a good image on hunting and hunters. And, I mean, we're a fast-growing sport, but I think we're a fast-growing down the wrong hill sport in a way. It's, I mean, we are, yeah, it is, well, well uh, it's a, it's a, it's a really interesting point because it is a, it is growing. It is, you know, there's, there's a growing interest in it, but um, that that growth doesn't seem to necessarily be pushing us in the right direction. Yeah. Mm. But um, I guess only time will tell on that. And it's the people that want to educate others that can make a change. You know. Oh, well, if Zuckerberg has his way, everyone will be on Meta, so they'll all be off in their virtual <laughs> worlds and the rest of us will just be left alone. I'll just be in the paddock. It'll <laughs> be all right. right. You'll be know, left alone and they'll be you know, doing whatever you do in a virtual world. And the rest yeah, of us. So, How bizarre. It's bizarre. So, look, and, and, I mean, I also I hear your point about, you know, there is a, I don't know what it is, and maybe it's, Maybe it's the the strength of the you know and the availability of the U.S. market, but there is a lot of people who want to create a or, or you know create a visible face for themselves, um, thinking that it'll immediately translate into you know sponsorship and all that kind of thing, and uh, you you do yeah. see that a lot. You know, you do see that a lot. Um, and yeah, that 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 idea of being pro staff and things like that. Yeah, hmm. it's um yeah. Well, Interesting it's a lifestyle. Time. It's a lifestyle, isn't it? It doesn't it matter is. whether it's hunting or travelling or you know yeah. pick pick your favourite hobby. Um, who wouldn't 
want to spend their life doing what they love to do and mm. being paid by the people that provide the goods in that area. It, it sounds like a dream. Um, the majority of those that try don't tend to do it that way. They, they, they have some yeah. other side hustle that actually pays their way and they get a few bucks from YouTube here and there and, and various different things. It's probably not quite as amazing as it seems on the outside. Some do a really good job of it. Um, Thank and you. Quite, and but they're, te they're they're generally really wholesome channels and they do it you know mm. they're, they're they're quite real people and, and they do a good job of it so uh, mm. but yeah it's a it's a tough one um the, the other component to that i feel is that um and, and you'll you'll see this too i'm sure is the whole now generation you know thing you know it's 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 not that we just want to go and buy that rifle and go and shoot a royal red tomorrow we want to be skiing on the other side of the country that afternoon, right? Um, oh, shooting while you ski. So well, yeah. you know, we're empowered, entitled. You know, um, we're we're a relatively wealthy nation. Um, you know, so you know, people have them, and even if they don't have the means, they have the means to access mm. the funds by borrowing and burying themselves mm. to do what they want to do today. Yeah. So that again is is a problem, but. Oh, we're seeing that, or I'm seeing that as a 45-year-old bloke. Um, you know, you're a younger generation coming up. It's interesting to me that you have that lens already because that's, um, I would say this the wrong way, but it's a very mature way to be looking at the world um, as a young up-and-comer. Yeah, look, I, I, I agree. You know, there's, um, it, it's... There is. Uh, well, look, I, look. I've been writing since two thousand and eight, and it wasn't until two thousand and seventeen that the publisher actually asked me for something. Up to that point, it was like, "Please publish this. Please publish this. Please publish this." Yeah, yeah. When we get to it. Yeah, yeah. When we get to it. In two thousand six, seventeen, something happened. Well, I, I know. I know. I can. Ex I know exactly what happened. In the UK, someone went, "Hey." We don't have anything like this. Gimme, gimme, gimme. And all of a sudden I had I had, you know, demand, you know. Up to that point it was all, you know, I was a freelancer and I was sending them in and and look, I, I'd built a pretty good relationship with the editor at the time, but it was still, you know, there was the in house staff, the in house writers, and then there was the rest of us in this great big wash. 2017 went to uk for, for for family holiday and which of course always involves hunting met some people over there and got asked to write and that so i had all of a sudden i had but unfortunately COVID killed that magazine but it disappeared yeah. but when and then there was a change here in australia with the with the with um with the editor and it changed and so it was it was you know i remember the first time i got an email from they sent an email out to all their writers and i'd got that email i went oh hang on Hang on, I'm 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 in this group. I didn't even know I was in this group, but I'm in this group now. So, so and that that's taken. You know, that took nine years of getting four on average. On average, because some years were leaner than others, four stories published a year. That was my average as a freelance, and then it just jumped up. So yeah, yeah. I mean, these things do take time. You know, and, but I think there's the almost there's um. There's that wonderful perception that you know it, you, it just happens. You know you just you know you write an article and you um you overquote the rifle that you're using and that manufacturer of that rifle will read that article and go 
you are the person for us. We're going to give you lots of free stuff. Here it comes. And, and away you go. And, uh, you know, in an industry that's probably as tight margins as this one in Australia, <laughs> the last thing they're going to be doing is going, okay, let's give away free stuff. Yep. Okay. So other than that wonderful trend, <laughs> what other trends are you seeing? Because you're right there, at the, you know, mm -hmm. well, not the coal face, whatever you want to call it. But let, right let, me, let, me, let me throw another question in there. Uh, I'm mindful that your one AirPod might go flat on us at some point. Um, so, so I wanted to ask. I can't even uh, check the battery on this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wanted to ask, as part of that trend question, uh, I'm interested in what you're seeing around women in the sport in hunting, um, you know, they're, they're far more visible than they were before because there's quite a few um, ladies that have come into the sport that are being ambassadored by, you know, for, for various different brands. What, what are you seeing around that? We see it in, as a branch. Um, we've seen more couples coming along and, and, and wives or girlfriends being more interested. It's typically not a sport for, for girls, but it's certainly growing. So um, add that to, to Mark's question, if you don't mind. I'm, I'm keen to hear your perspective. Well, I think it's due in the next month or so. I did do an article on women in the sport, and this is a trend in itself, and it's the trend of the dreaded men, men's club. The mm -hmm. men, when you go to the range and they don't want to talk to you because you're not in the men's club, hmm. if that makes sense. You know, the ones that don't want to share information, the ones that snub their nose at any newcomers to a sport, and from my experience being a female is I, um, females often come under the, you know, um, the scrutiny, you could say, maybe probably not the right word of the men's club either way. Okay. You know, it's, um, yeah, just not wanting to share, you know, that's just a trend in itself is a very different thing. Okay. I can't word it so, so how do, so it's how difficult, is what yeah. you're saying. It's yeah. difficult to break into the sport. You don't think it is. You've got yes, ready that is what to... I'm going at. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I... definitely. And, but yes, there is so many more women in the sport, and it is fantastic to see. You know, when I first started out, um, you know, the people I looked up to was. Eva Shockey and Kendall Jones, um, you know, they're all American women. And still to this day, they're the ones I pay most attention to. There's a few Australian females that I think are just amazing, you know, the way they handle themselves, conduct themselves, um, and just their enthusiasm for the sport is just amazing. But there's only a very few, few in Australia. Mm. The rest, I don't know. I just feel that it's very, look at me, look at me. I'm sponsored. I'm this, I'm that, I'm this, I'm that. No one really pushes just the education and hunting to keep it going. It's all, you know, look at me, look at me pretty much that's yeah that's just what I've seen but there's not many people that you know new hunters I do tell like female hunters to read Eva Shockey's book 
you know, read some of these short stories on their Facebook posts about a hunt to learn things um, instead of trying to look up to some of these influences in the hunting industry in Australia. Yeah. Where's Eva from? Uh, America. America. It's technically Canada, I suppose. Yeah. Sorry, well, it's raining again. That's all right. The, 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 I think they're Canadian family. Um, yeah, the Shockies. Certainly, um, yeah, North America. It's interesting you say that because I think it's I, – I, I suppose you're getting the double whammy on that one because – by its very nature, it's a difficult sport to get into. Once someone described it to me about deer hunting, is that it's it's it, it there's no love amongst deer hunters, no. especially and look and it's it's especially bad in Queensland because you know the competition is so strong to get on to a place to hunt. So you know there. So if you're going to get if you get, if you got it, you don't want to share it. Um, no. And you know and. I, I and I know that and you know there's also probably more more um more well not globally but more especially on the east coast we've never been uh, in a and I think Ned Macon once once mentioned this there's never been a real idea about sharing land you know you you got it you you, you locked it up so there's that and I see that translate to the range the only the only uh, interesting side note to that is for years, I used to, well look. I, I'm actually a, a, a member of um, I'm a member of the SSAA, but I'm a member of the Brisbane Range. I've actually got the Brisbane mm -hmm. Range card, which is a little blue card, and my number, range membership number, is in the you know the, the hundreds. I'm not in the thousands or the tens of thousands. I'm in the hundreds because I've had it for thirty something years, and um, I've always been interested in pistols, but at Belmont. The pistol range was a closed range. And the first time, well, I got close to getting into the pistol range was the day I took my wife to the range because she got invited into the pistol range straight away and they literally kind of shut the gate on me. <laughs> like, yeah, you can wait outside, buddy. And like, I, you know, so it was funny because they did, you know, they just welcomed her because, you know, again, there's only a female in the whole place, so she's welcomed. But I know I, I can completely understand that there's this kind of um, there's this. I'm sure there's these lines that you know that we don't see and that we should be well aware of. I know there is lines between uh, the new shooter and the old and the more experienced shooter. And and if you aren't of the the uh, inclination or I suppose personality to, to break that line, it's very very yeah. difficult to get into. Um, yeah, it's very different, you know. And there is, there is, there is, uh, I suppose, easier points of entry. So certain club structures are, are more accommodating of newbies than others. Um, I, I know that for a fact. You know, I, 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 I know that. Um, but that's their club structure, and that's often driven by someone within within the uh, within that particular branch or that particular club. Who's doing that? And and look, I won't, I won't, I won't embarrass him too much. But Ian's one of those guys. So you know, he bring, he wants, he wants new people in there. He wants things to happen. It, so you have to have someone like that in the club, or you know, it might not happen. The other, um, 
and like and you know going out to the range at Belmont, it's a hard nut to crack. And at the and since COVID, you know you basically you 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 don't talk to anyone almost. You know it's it's a very difficult thing. So it doesn't lend itself to to a to a new uh, someone new who doesn't have a lot of information, a lot of knowledge um, to get in there. I, from personal experience, um, the reason I bought a thirty A six was there was an old range officer at at Belmont. Um, I haven't seen him for years. Maybe he's passed away. He was this grumpy old bugger, but I used to rev him up, and he loved it. He, you know, we used to have this cracking banter, hmm. and he's one. He, you know, I said, I said, what do you? I said, I'm going to get. It. I said, I'm, I'm going to order a um, a two seventy, and he said, don't get a two seventy. Get a thirty eight six. You can shoot buffalo with it because you can put two twenties in it. After he called me all sorts of names, you know, he's stupid Dutch, blah blah blah, you know, because he, he we, that was, you know, yeah, and and but but that's that's how we got to that point, and and like there was he 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 was he was hilarious, but I and I haven't seen him for years, and it's a shame, but um, but that was it. I had someone like that who I could uh, who would I could you know, in his own unique and special way, give me some guidance around those things, and. And I know that there is a lot of people out there who do not have that, and mm. it's hard to find that. And if you can't find it, and you go to a range, and it's this kind of clinical operation, which it has to be because you know there's so many laws about firearm usage. You go to a club, and the club is full of all these people who've got the secret handshake about where the deer are, and no one else knows what that handshake is. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna leak members. You're gonna lose lose people there, or, or they're going to be self-motivated enough to to do something, and once they do it, then they're not going to tell anyone either. Um, yeah. I, you know, you don't get anything without having. You know, there's a there's an there's a suppose. I like to think of it as an abundance mentality. The more you share, the more you get. Mm. So I, I'm very much in favour of of you know telling people. If someone asks me about something, I'll, I'll, I'll try and give you the best answer. Um, yeah. I might not be right. I, I readily admit I might have it wrong, but. I'll try and get you. I'll try and get you in the right direction. And I think you're right. I I, I can see that if you're a, a a new shooter and 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 you're a new female shooter and you're lobbed up to the range, if you didn't have the right person there, it could be very yeah, daunting. Yeah, very much so. Mm. And yeah, something I saw all the time just working in retail. You know, you get some gentlemen that come in. Can I help you, mate? Oh, oh, I'll wait for the boss. You know, when's the boys back in? Sorry, I'm the only one here today. Oh, 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 I'll come back another day. Never know what they'd want, but because you're not part of the men's club, yeah, no, you don't get a look in. So, I mean, things definitely need to change in the firearms industry. You know. So, and what do we do about that? How do we? How do we? What? How do we get more people in? Because that's <sighs> a, that, that's that's the big question, is it? What do we do? Um, how, how do we? You, do you, you, you've triggered my you've triggered my problem solving response. Yeah. Well, we're doing we're doing our little piece trying to trying to educate anyone that's getting into the sport to try and get them out and about and gives them some tips and tricks and you know meet some people via podcasts that can share their stories yeah. and their experience and that's sort of our way of lending lending a hand uh, and it, you know it's connected with with some great people. And it's had a lot of inquiry coming in from new hunters that I've heard it. I want to join. 
what rifle do I buy? What gear do I buy? You know, yeah. so it's serving a purpose, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm really happy that that's working. But beyond what we're doing, yeah, to Mark's point, what 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 do you see that needs to be done in this industry around the clubs, around you know, various different parts of what we do? At the moment, there's there isn't much. I mean, there's not much you can really keep doing. It's the attitude of people that needs to change. You know, the attitude of people to welcome change. You know, it's not the same, you know, it's not the same as what it once was, you know, shooting in the golden years. We're more heavily restricted now than what we ever have been, um, you know, as an industry in a whole. Um, but to new shooters, say, wanting for change to kind of happen, I definitely recommend joining smaller hunting clubs instead of large mm large ones, you know, you get more one-on-one, -on -one, you're not lost in a crowd, you'd learn more. Um, not being afraid to ask questions. You know, maybe this is where issues are starting. No one's asking questions because everybody's a know-all. Ask the dumb questions, but ask them to the right person. Don't get on social media. You know, don't get on and ask a forum of a thousand plus people. Go find that one person from that small town club you just joined and ask them you know it's stuff that everybody's got to do not so much as a as one big change item it's little things that need to change you know stop giving shooters a bad name by posting your fox with its eyeballs bulging out of its skull you know on six different platforms what what does that do for the hunting industry nothing just makes us all look like idiots you know, it's little things like that that I think is a change that's needed. But and this really needs happens. to be, this really needs to be at a club level, an education for the new member. You know, people that are coming in, they need to be welcomed. And, and I guess those yeah. that come to our branch meetings, those that come and, you know, they come out on a colder night and they, you know, they come and they want to listen. The, the self-motivated ones that you're talking about, they've already yeah. made the effort to try and further what they're doing by showing up yeah. because that's pretty rare nowadays. Oh, 100%. You know, especially when we've all been sent home with COVID. We're all used to doing everything over a, a platform like this one. Hang on. And we're all used to doing things on a platform like this one and connecting via, you know, the digital tools. Um, I think people are demanding that we 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 use these tools also to run our meetings and various different things so we don't have to show up in person and do things so it's almost got to go back a little bit doesn't it it does i mm. mean zoom meetings are great we've had a few with our hunting club and they've worked well you know people that have young kids that they struggle to get out to a club meeting you know they joined for the first times but some of my favorite meetings from our club were definitely the freezing cold nights fire's not going you know, about 12 of us around the table talking a lot of, you know, hunting stories and peeking on dad because he's deaf. You know, that was <laughs> how our meetings revolved. Bit of hunting, yeah. bit of peeking yeah. on dad. Well, yeah. you know, those those face-to-face -face meetings, you can have five or ten side conversations going on at the same time, whereas a Zoom and a Teams meeting like this are very agenda-driven with us speaker yeah. and a bunch of listeners. Mm. It's good for delivering content. It, you know, 100%. beyond three people, it's too hard to have a have a have an open conversation, which makes yeah. it difficult. But to your point about education, I think you're right. If you if you're getting new members into a club, 
a smaller club where you're, you know, you're welcoming them in, you're butting them up with someone, you're showing them some yeah. experience and you're teaching them the social manners maybe of what to do and what not to do to, to help the sport along. And it's not a bad thing either. That's something I hadn't Definitely. really thought about as far as content goes. Yeah. Well, our hunting club just had last weekend a de-butchering course with a barbecue. Um, our licences, you know, all in one. And just the community members that came out that weren't members of the club that joined was just, well, I couldn't attend, you know, being the whole big distance away. But the photos were amazing. Everybody, you know, all these people crowded around on this cold and wet day, you know, because they all wanted to learn something. It's, mm. yeah, giving people opportunities to learn, but then everybody welcoming an opportunity to learn because I mean, we're all still learning. No one knows though everything about hunting. God, I definitely don't, but, you know, I'm always ready to ask a question, but, yeah. That's just, it's got to change. Start start with that. And I think the industry could change dramatically. So now you're in that cunning club that I can't remember the name, but it starts with W. Yes, uh, Winter Caribou Hunters that's, and Anglers yeah. Club. Winter Caribou, Winter Caribou Hunting Club. <laughs> Winter Caribou Hunting Club. So right. it's right. the local government area of Barrel, say, that it was first started when Dad had his shop in Barrel. Mm. so that's how that stuck but yeah, yeah i think 60 odd members you know and we had our agm three weeks ago and that was a good turnout you know there's always a barbecue always people learning we do a lot of club hunts it's definitely a very education orientated club i'd say with a cold beer at the end of the day or a few but nothing wrong with that no, not at all, not, not, not at all. So yeah, so uh, look, I, I'm the idea of education too is a, is a is a tricky one because strange enough, I've been I've I've tried to push this barrel a couple of times and generally I've I've ended up you know falling flat on my face because often the the the, the arm wrestle comes around what is actually education and I. I, I personally think it's it's rather than it's than education. I hunters need to know these five things. What I think is more important is the opportunity for someone to learn, because I, I kind of think we learn at our own pace and we learn our own kind of things and we learn from also from a particular prism that what's important to us. You know, I remember that the reason the reason I joined the ADA was because at Queensland Gun Exchange there was an ad for our license which get your access to hunting and it was run by the ADA. So I went to the R licence and it was run by ADA and they said, we're looking for new members. And I went, well, that seems fair enough to me. And the reason why I joined Shooters, Fishers and Farmers Party and I just got my annual thing sent to them was because when I found out that they're the people who fought for public land hunting in New South Wales, I went, that's good enough for me. So, you know, so, but I think, and that's kind of, that reflects more than anything and how I learn and how I process information. But I think that's a, a really big part of this is actually not having a model of hunting, but actually having an environment that's a learning environment where people can learn in their own way. And I think you, you do get that at a smaller club. Yeah. You know, you, you, we, we, by very nature, we tend to try and, you know, bureaucratise things to a certain level. 
and then which makes things easy you know it's, it's good to have processes but I think sometimes people get lost in the process. So actually having the opportunity Definitely. for people to learn rather than people to be educated is, is a big part of this. Yeah. It's still a very competitive um, pastime, right? Um, oh, yeah. You know, so finally I found this little club and it's mm. teaching me things and I'm getting the opportunity to go on hunting courses and go hunting. I'm not telling anyone. Because, I, <laughs> you know, this right. is just what people right. yeah. because, you know, it's almost yeah. like a ballot. You know, um, I published nine hunts or eight hunts for my club for next year. Um, we published them up uh, during the week um, so that people can start thinking about the fellow rut, the red deer raw, a samba trip, etc. So they're all laid out in front of everyone and people can put their names down and say, well, I want to go on these four things or I want to just yeah. go on that one thing. And we try and match everyone up to get something that is on their list rather than, you know, because there's no way everyone can do everything. There's just not yeah. enough spots um, for what we're doing. And a lot of the places we go, there are capped numbers, but everyone can go to the state forest hunts or the Samba trip if that's what they want to do. Yeah. Um, but as soon as there's that competition element where should if I invite three of my friends along, you know, I'm far less likely to actually get a go next year. I think I'll just keep that to myself. Something yeah. that that I have never seen, I can't remember ever seeing. And you see it, you know, if I buy a good a good piece of equipment, you know, you'll post about it and boast about it. Um, if you have a great hunting experience with a club, you don't see a lot of that recognition coming from the people in the branch outwardsly to hunting communities. Hey, this branch did such a great job, I just wanted to tell the world about it. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. Yeah. No, no it doesn't. It's a shame, but you can you can understand why. I, I don't know how many people have told me, and referring back to State Forest, I don't know how many people, and it is a, it's a huge number, have told me there is nothing to shoot in Severn. Ah, in fact, every time I've spoken ah, to someone, someone has gone, hey, it's shot out, it's shot out. <laughs> and they go like, Mate, there's nothing in Severn because they're all drowned. That's right, that's right. They're all, that's it. I just... <laughs> Uh, it, and that's what it is. And I, and I do remember every time we went to Nundal, it would be, oh, they shot all the deer last week. It was like, really? So this is whatever, yeah. 90,000 acres or hectares, in fact. No more deer in here. All gone. Sure. <laughs> okay. Like, and literally, I've had, we, we, we were in camp one day and we had deer hanging in the pine because you can do that down there. Yep. It's cool enough. And literally, you know, oh, it's no deer here. <laughs> I kind of went, what are those things? And you know, so yeah, having people that that it's it is there's that inherent competitive nature to it, which I think does. Um, and, but I've I've always been happy to tell people about my hunting. Um, but there is a in competitive nature, so you you do need you do need a, a forum where people can actually see what success looks like. You need, you need models. You know, we need models of what success looks like in anything. So. We need someone that goes, oh, okay, if I go there, that's the, the opportunity that's in front of me if I if I put in the effort. Yeah, yeah. and people say, oh, where did you shoot the goats? And you kind of go, what, you want a GPS mark? You reckon they're still waiting there or something? Behind the shoulder or something. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Yeah. All right. Hey, uh, so, Chloe, um, before we wrap, um, I'm keen to understand uh, just a little bit more about your um, journey so far in Ridgeline. Or with the, mm -hmm. the your current job, what you're up to in that. Um, you said that you're travelling around a fair bit as a as a wholesale rep. 
yeah. how are you finding that uh, this must be oh. fairly fairly new for you uh well i did so dad's a rep and funnily enough he actually started with fuller's firearms when he was 23 and then i just shy of turning 23 get hired by john fuller himself so well, i had a good giggle with that but as would have um been. sorry i said and as would have he oh definitely i came yeah. home and told him he just laughed it's like just laughed. That's all he could do was laugh at me. But um, so dad's been a rep. Well, apart from having his business, he's always been a rep. Had a rep background before he started the shop. Then picked up a rep agency once I was more hands-on in the shop and got back on the road half-time, uh, part-time or however it is. So school holidays, if I wasn't working, I was always in the car with him. Mm. So the rep life did appeal because I like to travel and I like nice. seeing different things. I like driving. I'm the driver yep. all the time. I have to drive. It's yeah. <laughs> kind of a toxic, you could the say, trait. The control freak, yes. Oh, 100%. I'm very, I'm hearing you. I'm that's, very that's much me. That's me as well. Yep. <laughs> yeah, no, so it's one of the best jobs I think I could ever have. Just drive three or four hours, get yep. out talk about guns, talk about hunting. I might try and sell them something, get back in the car, go to the next place, just hunting guns and, you know, sell something. Yeah. And, and what area do you cover? So I'm Coffs Harbour across to Armadale and north to the border. Yep, up, up to the Queensland border. Yeah, and then yep. Charleville and along that highway and I do fifty percent of Brisbane. So the highway, so you you you're crossing so, the border country. You're going, so you service Gundawindi, yeah, and yeah, then up no, no, so uh, Gundy and um, St George, St George, yeah, you, yep, yeah, um, Sternthorpe, Warwick. Uh, there's not mm. really much in Kunnamulla anymore, no, no, no. but uh, from St George, I go across that highway to Chinchilla. Yep. So then up through Mitchell, then up to yeah, Mitchell. Yeah. Oh, no, I don't think I have anybody in Toowoomba. If no. I do, I'm very sorry for forgetting about them, but I don't think so. No, mostly, well, closer to Brisbane yeah. more so than Toowoomba. Yeah, okay. Very but, good. And then Territory is, well, I'll wing it when I get up there and see who I can rope into buying things off me. Hmm. Well, yeah, that's, that's good. A, that's an exciting challenge. Territory. And there's it a, will be. There's a very helpful man in, in the Northern Territory by the name of Brian Boyle. So he's probably. Uh, if, I've if, heard a lot about Brian. If, actually. if, if there's someone who knows, who knows who to talk to, it's probably Brian, Brian Boyle. I might have to do the old Facebook and social media stalk and get in contact. <laughs> Stalking. <laughs> Brian will talk to you. Brian doesn't mind yeah, a chat. Yeah, he doesn't mind oh, a chat. Right, and he's a, yeah. he, he's, he's a wealth, of, literally a wealth of knowledge, that guy. Yeah. yeah, and um, yeah. as as far as um, Chloe Golding on uh, social media, do you run an Instagram publicly I for do. your hunting life? It's yes, mostly. Oh God, I haven't even looked at it in a while. Let me have a look at this thing. Uh, mostly screenshots of magazine articles, the occasional dog photo, a few sunsets, the odd selfie. And then, uh, yeah, some hunting photos. 
Right. Okay. If some if someone wants to find you, are you locked down or are you open for people no, to contact you? All open to see, just Chloe Jane Golding, all one word. Um, stalk your life away, really. But uh, yeah, you might get the occasional location while I'm traveling. Yeah, saw a pig here. Not the most exciting page, but that's all right. Saw, saw pigs here. Yes, pretty much. Mark, Mark will be stalking. <laughs> well, Mark, I think uh, unless you've got any other questions for Chloe, I think we'll wrap that up. It's been a great conversation um, hearing about yes. your story. Um, you've got as much um, experience and knowledge behind you as, as most of us um, well into our past our 40s. You've, you've been doing this since you were what knee high to, you know, what do you call them? The old, old par or something like that? Oh. Yeah, old pop. Good old, old pop. pop. <laughs> so um good luck with your with your with your new role where you're going and, you. and finding your way around the hunting industry in Queensland and if you're passing through Toowoomba then uh, feel free to say hi. Um oh, I definitely point, will point you in the direction of the friendly gun shop as well, make an introduction yeah. there. And um <laughs> yeah, no, it'd be great to see you here. And uh, I'll take no, you I'm up on your um your pig hunting guiding um skills when I come down your way sometime. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm bringing, I'm looking I'm bringing the camera. To that, most definitely. <laughs> I'm bringing the camera. It'll have to be a you know filmed podcast trip mm. for sure. Mm. For sure. Well, yeah. it's live on the action. cards. It's on the cards, isn't it, mate? Facebook Live or whatever it is. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Let's do it. It's done. Let's do it. Go to my right. Look, uh, for me, thank you very much for your time and 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 your experiences. It's you know I I figured out you must be early 20s because you said you were working in the shop when you were 10. I'm going. And it's going to 10. I'm going 24, 25. Well, the, you said you start you started working in the shop when you were 10, and the shop opened in 2010. So I thought, well, 21, 20, oh, 23. There we oh, go. That, that was that was the numbers. So someone, you know, 23. You've got you've got uh, worlds of experience, um, and it's been great that you you know that you like sharing that experience. I think a, a, a lot of people get a lot out of it. Um, and I really like your, you know, your your observations from someone in the industry about where we're going and and some of the challenges you see, but also some of the ways to do something about that. And you know, it all st it's it, it's an individual effort. Take individual responsibility um, for what you what you say and take responsibility of sharing it. Um, I did. I, I was uh, actually Ian told me to look at the uh, Badlands Film Festival and one of the. Um, one of the videos that was uh, a part of the film festival was um, it was entitled something along the lines of mentoring is conservation. Yeah, I think that's yeah, very great. I think there's, there's 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 something in what you're saying there. I thought it was a bit bit you know hokey at the time, but I do I do I do I do like what you were saying, and I think that you know that if you want to have conservation in in the in the manner in which we can conserve conserve, then you need you need to mentor people. You need to have people still going, coming into the system, and not yeah. being kind of pushed away from it. So it's very insightful, and appreciate it again with you sharing with us. No, thank so you that's very about much it. for having me. Okay, that's about it for me. Anything over to you, Ian? Uh, all done. Thank you. Okay. Have a nice rest of your evening, and we'll we'll chat again soon. Okay. Very much so. Thank you. Bye, guys. See ya.